Hello and welcome to episode two of Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. We're bringing you a roadmap to build a better Congress. My name is Nick Bushkar. I'm joined by the co-founders of Elect 535, Michelle Olson and Rena Schneer. Hey, Rena. Hello, Nick. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Nick. We're also joined by fellow political journalist Angela Carbone. Hi, Angela. Hi, Nick. Today's episode is the second of our three-part series on the 2022 Senate races. Last week, we covered Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, as well as a handful of non-competitive states. I'd like to start today's conversation with you, Rena. Earlier this year, Mark Kelly won a special election by 2.4% in a banner election cycle for Democrats in Arizona, capped off by Biden winning the state. What does 2022 look like for the former astronaut? All right, so Arizona surprised us during 2020 when it went for Biden, and actually it now has two Democrat senators. Um, So, and that is actually the first time since there was one Democrat senator in 1988. Let's also remember that this is McCain's seat. So Mark Kelly has to run again to kind of bring back this seat into the Senate election cycle. So while Mark Kelly won by 2.4%, which is less than uh, Kristen Sinema did, but more than the 0.6% that Biden did. He is uh, up for election. His main traits are that he is an astronaut. He's very well liked, and he's the husband of Gabby Gifford. And he has a couple of opponents, one of them only declared, and um, it's a person, Robert Paveza, not that known, and he's running on a one-issue platform, financial conservatism. Uh, Governor Ducey, who was, by the way, sanctioned by the Republican Party in Arizona, decided not to run. And there are talks that Representative Andy Biggs, a Republican, may challenge Mark Kelly. But for now, he doesn't have that much opposition. What, what about his fundraising abilities, Rena? So in 2020, he was a blockbuster fundraiser. I'm sure he had some money left from that, and he can raise money at no time. Uh, so I think he's very well positioned. Well, Michelle, New Hampshire has been trending blue, but in 2022, Maggie Hassan will run for re-election, and she won her 2016 race by just 1,017 votes. With that margin, it seems like we're talking about a true swing state. Can you give us the lay of the land for New Hampshire 22? Yeah, New Hampshire has been getting less of a spotlight recently because it has been trending so blue that people tend to forget that it is traditionally a pretty red to swing state. So Maggie Hassan did win the election by this uh, tiny, tiny margins in 2016, taking the seat from Kelly Iote at the time. Um, And she is 
up for re-election in 2022 now. Uh, Before that, she was the governor of New Hampshire. And when she ran against Kelly Iote, it was quite a surprise that she actually won at the time. Since then, however, Biden did win New Hampshire by a reasonable margin of 52.8%. And her colleague, who is also a Democrat in the Senate, Jean Shaheen, won by even a more sizable margin, 56.6%. So it looks like there should be smooth sailing for a strong Democrat like uh, Maggie Hassan for 2022. However, it's not quite a slam dunk for her, as you would think. She is not as popular as Jean Shaheen. A recent poll by the University of New Hampshire showed that Shaheen had a much higher favorability rating than Hassan. For this race, it actually will probably be more important to look at the Biden approval polls than any individual senator approval polls, as that's probably going to be the um, guiding force, whether they'll want to vote in a Republican or a Democrat in 2022 in New Hampshire. Biden is still quite popular in New Hampshire, but has dropped uh, from 53% approval to 50% approval in the state. However, it's still quite high compared to Trump's approval throughout the four years that he was in office. Right now, the only current declared challenger to Uh, Maggie Hassan is Brigadier General Donald Bulldock, who also ran against Jean Shaheen. However, he lost the primary to Bryant Mesner in 2019, and so it's unlikely that he will emerge as a strong contender. The most likely and the strongest challenger to Hassan will be the current governor, Chris Sununu. He has very high favorability ratings in the state right now. He has a job approval of 72% and his favorability is 55%. In a head-to-head poll against Hassan, he actually polls two points ahead of her. He has not indicated whether he intends to run. He said that that decision is still months away. However, if he does, she's going to have a really strong fight on her hand. If he doesn't run it's very likely that Kelly Io will jump in again and try to reclaim that seat. Angela, Ohio's legend for voting for the presidential winner was broken in 2020 when Trump beat Biden by eight points. The state legislative mix is 12 Republicans to four Democrats. However, you do have Sherrod Brown, and he remains relatively popular as a senator in the state. All this is to say that Ohio is confusing but trending pretty red. Would you say that's fair, and what does that mean for 22? Well, yeah, I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it is trending red. Uh, outside of Sherrod Brown, the uh, Republicans hold all of Ohio's partisan statewide offices. Um, and up and down the ballot in 2020, the Republicans won. So um, uh, the good news is that, that Rob Portman isn't running again, but the Democrats had quite an uphill battle um, and right now they all seem to be in a holding pattern. Uh, we're w- waiting for uh, Congressman Tim Ryan to announce, which um, many feel that uh, he's likely to run because his own district could either go far more red or he could lose his district altogether. 
but that won't be known for months, and that might have, might be uh, contributing to his the fact that he hasn't announced. But he's making noises like a candidate. Um, he's grabbed some headlines by introducing a bill uh, that will invest in emotional and mental health programs in schools. And with schools reopening uh, as they were closed during the pandemic, that's proved to be a pretty popular idea. Um, and he's also part of a bipartisan um, group that is that has filed legislation to create an office of manufacturing and industrial innovation policy. And with Ohio being Ohio, the idea of bringing back manufacturing and bringing back industry is very popular. Uh, and it's both Republicans and Democrats that are that have filed the bill in the House and a similar bill in the Senate. And interestingly, Rob Portman is one of the sponsors of that bill, which um, it's his seat that's that's open. Um, however, Ryan hasn't done that well in the polls compared with a possible Democratic uh, candidate, Dr. Amy Acton, who has served as the, um, U the Ohio Department of Health Director and was a very visible and calming presence during the pandemic and in the press conferences. So she's kind of a trusted soul for them. Um, and right now she has an advantage in terms of save, of of raising money. The the 314 Action Fund, which is a PAC that backs candidates with science, technology, engineering, and math backgrounds, has has promised $5 million to her if she runs. So she's looking more and more like a candidate, too. Um, there are a bunch of minor players for the Democrats, but uh, these two are the, the front runners. Um, the Republicans have a very crowded field right now because the scuttlebutt was that Jim Jordan might run, but he says no, he's staying in the House. Uh, right now we have Josh Mandel, who has who has who who has filed to run, uh, former Ohio State Treasurer, uh, not Ohio State, but Ohio State Treasurer. Uh, he's he's got some baggage behind him. Uh, however, he he says he's running. But so is a man named Michael Leipold, who is an EMS helicopter pilot. Um, and we know now how much we care about our healthcare people. Um, and he had a 22-year military career and won an Air Medal with Valor in Afghanistan. Um, he is, relative, is very conservative. His two degrees were at uh, Liberty University and Grand Canyon University, both of which are red Republican evangelical schools. Um, and he's married with eight children. There are a bunch of other Republicans considering a run, a really long list of people, we, many of whom we don't really necessarily, uh, it doesn't come front to mind. But one very interesting possible candidate is J.D. Vance, who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. His name recognition alone could help him get some votes. But that's it. Ohio's pretty red. And as I recall, Kasich said he's not running. No, you're right. He ruled it out pretty early on. Thanks for that, Angela. Now, Rena, let's move on to a bit of a contrarian take. 
you made the case to us that we should consider Missouri to be possibly in the competitive column. Did that. And here's just a quick rundown. <laughs> yeah. Clinton 96 was the last blue win for president. Both senators are currently Republicans. Josh Hawley beat two-term Democrat Claire McCaskill in 2018, which showed a further move to the right. And the state has a PBI of R plus nine. What's your case? Okay, so let's look at Missouri. And you're right. If you look, for example, at the presidential election and PVI is the partisan voter index relies on the last two presidential election margins to be calculated. So Romney took the state 54-44, so 10%, and the former guy in 2016 and in uh, 2020 won by between 16 and um, 18 points. So you would say this is red. However, you just mentioned that Claire McCaskill was a senator for a couple of terms. She won very narrowly in 2006, but then got 55% in 2012. She then lost to Josh Hawley by about 6%. But let's speak about that. Um, I would imagine that after January 6th, there, are some, there is some buyer's remorse in Missouri when it comes to Josh Hawley. And they wouldn't like, or many people, I would say, enough people would not like to repeat that kind of a Senate candidate or senator representing their state. So that's these two factors. One, that there have been some candidates that won state election, and I will speak about that a little bit later. And two, some of the buyer remorse may make Missouri, if there is a good candidate, more uh, open. And of course, this becomes an open seat. So to add to these two effects, Roy Blunt announced that he is not running for re-election, and therefore this is an open seat. So here is a trivia question for you, and you have to answer quite quickly. GOP and Democrat candidates together, how many are running, either filed or announced that they are considering? Nick? In Missouri? Yes, quickly. Zero. Angela? I would say 15. Michelle? No clue. Six. Angela was very close. 16. <laughs> wow. And one independent. So let's go very briefly. I don't want to do kind of a laundry list, but let's look at the declared, the one that filed uh, Democrat candidates. There are a couple of people that are veterans. So, Jewel Kelly, he's an Air Force veteran. He moved to uh, Missouri a bit later in life, and they started a real estate business, but they also have a foundation for mental health after uh, their daughter died by suicide in 2018. Lucas Kunz is another candidate. He grew up in Missouri, in Jefferson City. His family was um, on the lower middle class, I would say, living paycheck to paycheck, and especially had an issue that went almost to bankruptcy when his uh, sister had a heart condition. Uh, and he 
via grants and all went to Yale and uh, then to law school in Missouri. He was in the Marine and uh, now he works for a nonprofit and he runs on the major fight a big large against large corporation kind of to abolish the corporate corporation packs um, and and then there is Timothy Shepard he's an architect an art major so a little bit different and he's running on a progressive platform and finally on the declared side Scott Sifton he's an attorney he's uh, one that is a legislator. He's in the Michigan State House, has been for over 10 years. He's announced his intention in a video where he bashed Josh Hawley. Speaking of Josh Hawley, you see he's in the thread along all these elections, one way or another. And then there are a few that have not declared, but are considering. Uh, for, first and foremost is the ex-governor, Jay Nixon. Speaking of somebody that did win state election, a Democrat, six times as an attorney general and the last two times as a governor. And he's, not, he's now in the private uh, sector, so it's not clear that he would run, but it's still possible. And there are a couple of, uh, I would just mention, two high-profile candidates Claire McCaskill was one, and the former, former Secretary of State, Jason Kander, that actually pulled off the race and declared that they were not running, just kind of an FYI. The other candidates that are still considering is the uh, Kansas City Mayor, Quinton Lucas. He's uh, black, and if winning, he would be the first uh, black senator from Missouri. Another one, another black candidate, is Brian Williams. He is uh, from the St. Louis County State Senate. He won his seat in 2018. And finally, there is another uh, candidate, uh, Elad Gross. So this is kind of the lay of the land on the Democratic side alone. If we go to the GOP, and I'll start with the people that are still considering... Eric Schmidt is the Attorney General, and he's very much considering a run. He actually was considered for the run against Clara McCaskill, and eventually that nomination went to Josh Hawley. Another candidate, and Wagner, also was part of the run against Clara McCaskill, eventually again went to Josh Hawley. Uh, and she's considering she's the Republican Congresswoman from the St. Louis suburbs. Uh, Jason Smith, he's a House Speaker, and he's very prominent in the State House. He's considering as well. And, and finally, a couple of kind of outsider, John Brenner, and he could uh, be considered as an outsider. He's a former CEO of a health and personal care uh, company, and Carl Edwards, who is uh, interestingly a Colombian native and a former NASCAR driver. So these are the people on the GOP that have not considered, or they have not filed, sorry. Two people did file, 
One is John Brickman. I have not, I do not have much information about him. However, the other one is Eric Greitens, and I have lots of information about him. He is clearly the interesting, if you will, candidate because he was uh, sued. He was the governor from January 2017 until June of 2018. I wouldn't say he was sued, but he was charged and there was an investigation into some criminal activity. And I will let you guess which type of criminal activity was that. Was it computer tampering? Was it sexual misconduct? Or was it financial misuse of funds? All three. Anybody else? Definitely sexual. Sexual and financial. All three. Nick, you won. All three. All right. (laughs) So he was investigated for all three by the House of Representatives and by the state uh, chambers. However, uh, eventually the charges were not filed. The Republicans are quite nervous because they kind of have a nightmare uh, when Todd Akins ran against Claire McCaskill in 20. 16, uh, sorry, in 2012 uh, uh, and lost. Uh, and he, if you remember, he kind of uh, declared in a very bizarre way that a legitimate rape victim uh, do not get pregnant or something like that. And that was uh, uh, a big mishap that cost them the seat. So I would say they are very nervous having Eric Greitens in the lead from the filed candidates now. That will be very interesting. So I would say, just finally, even if you think it's very red, this is clearly going to be an interesting race. Yeah, if I could just distill your theory down. So you're saying, one, you think that Josh Hawley's, um, what should we call it? Indiscretions. Involvement in, yeah, (laughs) And the January 6th will rub off on a generic Republican. And two, there is a memory in the state of voting for uh, Democrats and having them win, uh, not, not in the too far past. So that's, that's your case. Yeah, and it's an open, of course, because if it were an incumbent, that would have made, been a different All right, case. all right. I appreciate it. Well, at this point... Let's move on to the lightning round, where we discuss the not-so-competitive races. And, uh, Rena, I'm going to go back to you. What can you tell us about Maryland, a solid Democratic state? So, Maryland, uh, Chris Van Hollen is the candidate. He's the incumbent. He won by a margin of uh, over 25 points. Uh, The last Senate race in Maryland in 2018 was a 20% uh, margin for the Democrats. Chris Van Hollen, he's a, from a Dutch descent. He's a Harvard grad. He has uh, a couple of challengers. Uh, Michelle Smith is running on a platform of housing and fighting homelessness. There is another person that filed, Jaden Thomas Ferris. But maybe the most risk that he may have Uh, that may make it not a fully solid dam is if Hogan, who is 
currently the governor, and going to be term limited. If he decides to run, he is extremely popular. So that may put a little dent on Chris Van he- Hollen's easy ride. I would just say that people say that Van Hollen is a very savvy and aggressive campaigner. And so it may become a little interesting there, but so far the race is his. Michelle, what can you tell us about Washington? Yeah, there's even less interesting stuff going on in Washington. So you may remember that Patty Murray holds that seat and she's held that seat since 1992. She was the first of those soccer moms in tennis shoes to win a uh, a big seat like a, a Senate seat all the way back then, and she's held it ever since. She hasn't actually officially declared yet for the 2022 race, but considering she spent 10 long years out of power in the Senate and now has come into her own as head of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, as well as some other highly uh, prominent positions in the Senate, she's fully expected to run again. She won in 2016, 59%, 41%. Biden clearly carried Washington State in 2020 at 58%. Washington is very blue. There have been no no declared candidates against her on either side, and everybody expects she'll have smooth sailing if she does continue to run, as is expected. Angela, what does Illinois look like for 2022? Well, Illinois looks pretty good uh, for the Democrats because we have Tammy Duckworth running for re-election. And she has a very strong presence in her state and as well, and she's popular. Um, she's a lieutenant colonel who served in combat in Iraq. She was a helicopter pilot awarded the Purple Heart. And she won, there were a couple of firsts for Tammy Duckworth. She was the first senator to have a baby while in office. And she's 53 years old, so those of us who might have been mothers at a younger age can really appreciate uh, what she had gone through. Um, And she was allowed to bring her 10-day-old baby to go on to the uh, Senate floor to vote. And she had to get special dispensation to do that. It's never been done before. Um, She looks like she's in very good shape. She has a lot of support uh, from people helping her raise funds for her reelection, including Dick Durbin, the other senator from Illinois, as well as Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. Now, on to Vermont. Patrick Leahy is the senior senator there, and he is the Senate pro tempore, which means he is the second in line behind the vice president to ascend to the presidency under the rules of the presidential line of succession. He was first elected in 1974, which means in 2022, that will uh, be a total of 48 years uh, as a senator. And his worst performance over the past 20 years was winning by 28 points in 2016. Fascinatingly, he has been in five Batman movies. Uh, And he's also one of the least wealthiest senators. In 2012, his net worth was $129,000 when the average Democrat was worth $13.5 million. Um, So that's a disparity. And um, 
you know, he had a recent health scare. He was in the hospital for about 24 hours and we haven't heard much about it since. And, um, on the democratic side, uh, there are several names being thrown around as possible successors to the seat, but no real talk of a challenge. And, uh, on the Republican side, the only name in Republican Vermont politics, uh, that is seen as having any shot is Phil Scott. And Scott is the current governor and he has to decide between two things. Does he want to run for a fourth term as an executive with incumbency advantage or have a hard fight against a popular statewide figure who himself holds the incumbency advantage? And so if Leahy runs, uh, he has an amazing shot at another six years. Um, he will be 82 years old, uh, but older men have done it. And uh, if he retires, uh, the question is, what does the next generation of Vermont Democrats look like? And will Phil Scott challenge them? And moving on to the solid Republican seats, uh, Rena, can you tell us uh, what Idaho looks like for 22? So Idaho is basically solid red. Mike Cravo won uh, 66 to 27 in 2016. So that's a very large margin. He's married since 1974, five children, no scandals. Um, he actually voted for some of the Biden's nominees. Um, and really there is, Idaho never went Democrat in the presidency and in the Senate in recent history. So there is no reason to think this will be any different. Michelle, what can you tell us about Kentucky? What can I tell you about Kentucky? Well, Kentucky is currently being represented by Mr. Rand Paul, who has not yet declared his intention to run again, but he is widely expected to. Uh, it's also interesting to note that Andy Bashir, who won as a Democrat the governor's seat, will also be up for re-election in 2022. Right now, for Rand Paul's seat, there are no declared candidates on either side. There is some mention of Charles Booker, who you might remember as having run against Amy McGrath in the primary when she was running against Mitch McConnell in 2020. He may actually challenge uh, Rand Paul but he has not yet declared to do uh, declared in the race. If you recall, Trump won Kentucky 62% by 36%, and Mr. McConnell beat Amy McGrath also by double-digit numbers, which was came as some surprise because she was incredibly well financed, and people really came to know and love her in her 2018 run for House. So she was widely expected to do better than she did. So it's expected that Rand Paul will take this if he continues to run. Right now, there was an interesting little tidbit that just passed the Republican uh, State House that if for some reason any U.S. Senate seat became vacant, the Democratic governor would not be allowed to pick a senator from a 
different party than the one that currently held office. I don't know if that was in response to some imminent fear they have for either Mr. Paul or Mr. McConnell's health, but I thought it was interesting that they felt it important to pass this little piece of legislation right now. And that's really the only interesting thing that's gone on in Kentucky recently. Well, on to Oklahoma. James Lankford is the incumbent senator there, and Cook Report has it as a solid R state. Lankford beat Democrat Mike Workman by 43 points in 2016, and he was first elected to the Senate in 2014 uh, through a special election uh, after Tom Coburn retired. However, Oklahoma is going to be a perfect state to try and help us understand the state of Donald Trump's influence. Uh, a primary challenger has arisen in the form of 29-year-old pastor Jackson Lawmeyer, who very recently received a ringing endorsement from the influential but disgraced General Mike Flynn. Uh, Lankford uh, acquitted Trump in his second uh, impeachment trial. However, he withdrew his opposition to certifying Biden as president after the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. So Trump beat Biden by 33 points. And that was, uh, he increased his overall vote count from 2016. However, that vote margin is very normal for Oklahoma relative to past presidential elections for about 20 years now. And Trump has not made an endorsement, but Mike Flynn, the the Mike Flynn endorsement seems indicative as to who he would go for. Uh, And I now find myself oddly excited to see the outcome of a Republican primary for Senate in Oklahoma. And... Angela, what can you tell us about Louisiana? Ah, yes, our final lightning round state. Um, well, Louisiana has a, uh, the, the senator who is running for re-election is John Kennedy. Not that John Kennedy, but the Louisiana John Kennedy. Um, he's a Republican, and he has a pretty high approval rating in his state. And this state has been rated as solid R by both uh Cook and Sabato. Um, Kennedy is in his, was first elected in 2016, and prior to that, he served as Louisiana State Treasurer from 2000 to 2017. And one interesting fact is that when he first ran for treasurer, he was a Democrat. Uh, he switched party affiliation in 2007 and was reelected as a Republican that year and as well as 2011 and 2015, and then as a Republican to the Senate. So even though Nisei Ufot from the New Georgia Project uh, said that grassroots organizing that happened in Georgia could happen in Louisiana, it's less than likely that it's going to happen. It's a pretty solid red win, I believe. So I want to say a couple of things. One It would be really fascinating to see, as you kind of get excited about Oklahoma, Nick, to see what happens in the primary, especially in the GOP primary, in terms of will people seek the former guy's endorsement? Will he give them the endorsement? And how will these candidates do, both in the primary and then if they get to the general election, how they would do in the general election? This whole cycle is fascinating uh, by itself. But I want to point out something that is happening in a few states, uh, Maryland, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, that the governors 
are considering to run for a Senate seat. And somebody that was um, pointed out by some of the material I was reading, a Senate seat run is not the same as a governor seat run. We know here in Massachusetts, we have quite often a Republican governor, very rarely a Republican senator. So that is something to consider when some of those governors are considering to challenge, uh, it, usually not in the primary, but in the general election. I think Senate primaries all across the country are going to be fascinating to watch. If you recall from last week, we had the Pennsylvania listing, and there was not a single Trump Republican in the list of potential Senate uh, Senate candidates. Uh, well, I take that back. There is one, the, the, the Sean dude, who is a very, very long shot in Pennsylvania. But it's really interesting that it really is going to be the pro versus the anti-Trump uh, primaries in a lot of different states. And it, it, that that kind of belies the uh, the hope, <laughs> or at least the belief, that Trump was fading. That there's a there's this fading going on, and he's fading out of the sphere of in, influence, and yet. We're still talking about him, and so is everyone else. And people are being judged. Are you pro as candidates, as you said, Michelle? You know, perhaps not in Pennsylvania, but uh, if you go to you go to Indiana, the the pro-Trump people are still there, and so as in Louisiana. Well, this is the data we need. Everything up to this point has been hypothetical after his loss. And so what's going to happen in Oklahoma, where the very conservative incumbent senator can't even get an endorsement by Trump lackey Mike Flynn, will be deeply informative and help us understand how much influence Donald Trump still has. Well, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Angela, it was great talking to you. Same here, Nick. Thanks. Rena, thanks for joining us. Can't wait for the next one. And Michelle, thanks so much. Always a blast. Make sure you listen to our previous podcast if you haven't, and subscribe to get updates on new episodes. I'm Nick Bushkar, and this has been Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. Mm-hmm.